Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. So take your Bible and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. That's what we're going to do today, Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. If you need a Bible, just wave at the ushers that are coming in the aisles right now and they'll let you borrow one and you can have it. It's our gift to you if you need a Bible. While you're turning to Matthew 5, let me just ask you uh, this question. Have you picked up on a spirit that I've kind of picked up, a spirit of pessimism these days? I just can feel it in the air. Pessimism, uh, maybe about the economy, pessimism about security, pessimism about terrorism, pessimism about racial relations, pessimism about the presidential election. As a matter of fact, I was uh, wondering if you'd seen the street sign uh, that uh, was uh, on the street uh, this past week. It says, Jesus is coming, hopefully before the election. And I thought to myself, yeah, that captures exactly what I'm talking about. But here's my concern. This pessimism gives way to skepticism and skepticism to outright cynicism. Just the utter distrust of other people's motives. And I think people seem more cynical than ever as, as well. Cynical about presidential candidates, cynical about the government, but not just that. Cynical about lawyers, about doctors, cynical about business people, about clergy people, and about churches as well. As I wrote to you uh, in the email blast that I sent out to the whole church on Thursday, um, it reminds me of uh, how many people sound sort of like the, the guy who one time told his friend, well, you know, everybody in this place is a crook, but except you and me, and sometimes I wonder about you, you know? And, <laughs> but cynical and Christian, those are two words that should never go together. That's an oxymoron, a cynical Christian. Because, <clears throat> sure, the world is a difficult place with a lot of problems, but we who follow Jesus, we understand what the rest don't understand. We understand that, that standing above the world's chaos is a supernatural God who lives in the realm of reality that will someday make our current sense of reality seem like a dream world. And in the center of his kingdom stands our glorious savior, Jesus Christ, the king of all kings. And we believers, we understand that 2,000 years ago, Jesus blasted through the wall that separates the ideal from the real the heavenly from the earthly, the perfect and the sublime from the imperfect. And Jesus brought what could only be described as the ideal and he made it real. And then he chose to invite us to come with him back through the hole in that wall, stepping into his kingdom full of light and love and hope and to bring people with us. And, but that's not even really it. It's not that he says, come back through the hole to my kingdom. He says, join me in the mission, in my mission of dismantling this wall that separates us, that my kingdom of light and hope and love and grace might shine into this world of darkness and despair and skepticism and cynicism, which is precisely why Jesus said the words that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read them to you, and then I want to talk about it. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. He said, Jesus said, you, that's the believer, the Christian, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
You let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, to really understand this text, you have to understand some background. And that is back in those days, several thousand years ago, salt was more than just a flavoring that sat in the shaker next to the pepper on top of a table. It was a preservative that was very, very important because in a day when they didn't have refrigerations and they didn't have deep freezes to put meat into, if you had perhaps meat, that they would have to pack it with salt because it was a preservative that would keep the disease and the decay uh, from, from coming in and spoiling it. And they didn't just apply it to, to meat. They would apply it to their crops. They would, put it, they would sprinkle salt on their, their crops to prevent the ca- decay from getting in. And, and even when they had piles of fertilizer that was waiting to be used, they would pack the fertilizer even in salt just to preserve the fertilizer from going bad. So with this in mind, I want to make three observations from the text that Jesus Jesus said today for us. Okay, the first observation is this. It's just really an acknowledgement of the obvious that Jesus was doing here. He was stating the obvious. The first thing, this world of ours is decaying. If it wasn't decaying, he wouldn't have needed to talk about the salt that we're supposed to be to preserve it. This world of ours, it's disintegrating, he was saying. It's falling apart, ever, always has been, always will be, ever since the beginning in the Garden of Eden when our spiritual parents shook their fists at God and said, we'll do it our own way. And sin and evil and suffering came flooding in at that point. But even if you're not a spiritual person or a Bible person, or maybe you're a scientific person, you know what I'm saying is true as well. If you know the second law of thermodynamics, that is that eventually left to its own devices, everything is running down. Energy is running down. Things are going to unravel on their own. Scientifically, you know that as well. And so we see this unraveling. We see this decay all around us. In what realms? In every realm. We see it in relationships, for example. If you uh, don't uh, work intentionally to maintain relationships, what's going to happen? They're going to begin to unwind. They're going to unravel. They're going to decay those relationships will. What kind of relationship? Any kind of relationship. A friendship that you don't attend to, it's going to unravel. A marriage to people who are married, if they don't continue to prioritize that relationship and be intentional about it, what's going to happen? It's going to start to unravel if left to its own. Racial relations as well. All of any kind of relationship requires intentionality. It requires intentional work just to, to keep things maintained, to keep them preserved, to keep them healthy, right? Shoot, we see evidence of decay, not just in relationships, we see it in our own bodies. I was reminded of this, uh, even this past week, I went over to the Chinese restaurant for lunch one day by myself just to spend a little time with my notes uh, for today. And I was expecting it to be quiet, but I ended up being seated next to a table full of very talkative ladies. And they were loud ladies. And they didn't seem to to recognize or know me, and it was mutual. And so I did my best to tune them out, but I couldn't help but overhear everything that they were talking about. And the conversation went on, and and, uh, eventually it got around to the the, the outer appearance. And they began to talk about Botox, and then they started talking about makeup makeup and different brands of makeup. And they were all going around to share their various favorite kinds of makeup and where they get their favorite kind of makeup. And, and at one point, a lady shared, and the lady, the other lady, who, who seemed kind of like the leader, at least the loudest one, she, <laughs> she looked over and she said, well, honey, you don't look like you need much coverage. And at that point, I was tempted just to, to crane my neck around just to <laughs> see if I could make my own assessment. But I resisted the urge and stayed focused on my wontons. And then I reached up to to straighten my hair and realized it's happening to me too. I need coverage. We're all unraveling. 
scientifically, you know this is true. Our molecules are coming unglued, all right? And so Jesus was just saying something that you already know. He was stating the obvious. No one yet has defied the death rate. What's the death rate? One per person, right? And so Jesus was just stating the obvious, that this world is subject to decay. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because if you don't get this in your head and you don't embrace this reality, you will stay on a horrible emotional roller coaster that jerks you from highs to lows, from optimism to utter pessimism every day, every hour for the rest of your life. The only way to prevail is to embrace the gospel and to get above it all. But the rest of, the, 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 of humanity, they, they have to ride this roller coaster. But you don't, believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to get on that roller coaster. And so when you turn on the news or you get a feed, news feed on your, on your phone and you shake your head, don't shake your head and say, oh, Lord, what in the world is going on? No, say, well, Lord, you are always right. This world is decaying. Jesus was just assuming you understood that. When he goes to the second thing, and this is what we really have to fasten ourselves onto, and that is you and I are called to be preserving agents in this decaying world. Okay? He says, You are the salt of the earth. In other words, you're supposed to apply yourself to, you're you're supposed to be packing yourself onto the things that are decaying and dying so that that might slow down, so that the darkness might be stopped and even pushed back. He says, also, you're to be bearers of the light. You're not the light. Jesus is the light, but we reflect his light if we carry his Holy Spirit is flowing through our, our blood, so to speak, if we've trusted in Christ. You're the light of the world. Now, many of you, you do understand this, and I know that you understand it because of you, what I see going on in your life. I think of many people who are involved with our Bridging for Tomorrow ministry. That's our ministry station that's set up down by the Beltway, and which ministers to lower-income people. And many of you volunteer and go down there and the food and all the stuff that we're doing there. And a number of you are mentors to the children in our Title I schools down there. Who And really, when you think about it, what you're doing is you're, you're stepping into arrest or to intercept the decay that might be trying to cause that child to, to get himself or herself into a downward spiral. And you're, you're going there to intervene and to be salt, and to be light. Um, or I think of others of you who you're involved in our orphan care ministry. What are you doing? Well, you're, you're trying to be salt and life, light and life, and, and, and trying to help young ones who, who might not ever otherwise have a family to, to see that that might be intercepted and that they could have a family that they could come into and be nurtured and safe and taught the gospel and brought up and all, the, all those sorts of things. Or others of you, you're involved in CareNet ministry, a marvelous ministry for, for ladies who or girls that get pregnant and they don't have a, a spouse and, and, and the whole world's telling them you ought to just go ahead and abort that baby. And, 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 but there you are trying to intercept that. You're saying, no, 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 actually there's another thing. There's another alternative. Come and let us help you through this. You're being salt and you're being light. Or, or others of you yet that have gotten on airplanes and you've flown to another part of the world and you've given up a week of your vacation or maybe some of you have done it any number of years now. And why are you going? You're going there to, to intercept the darkness which appears in the form of they don't have fresh water and you've dug fresh water wells and you bring back the pictures and the, the victory and we got fresh water in this community. What were you doing? You were being salt and, and you were packing yourself into to where the, the lifelessness and the death otherwise might have been. And that's what Jesus is telling us that that's your job. 
Others of you yet, you, you say, well, I never got on an airplane and gone and done this, but I do go into my workplace every day. Yes, many of you do. And a number of you, you're embracing this reality that you are salt and light. And when you're going into your workplace, uh, you, you might even be saying to yourself, well, you know what? I may never influence thousands of people and I may never even influence a hundred people, but I got a dozen people right here in my little section or a half a dozen, or four, and I'm trying to be salt and light for them that they might come to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And our workplaces do need salt and light, don't they? Our whole world does these days. Why? There's so much pessimism. There's so much darkness. There's so much cynicism and skepticism and hopelessness. And see, my concern is that I think there's a number of Christians who they think errantly that, that the Lord called you to sort of be his tattletale. You say, what do I mean? Well, I tell you what I mean. I, any number of Christians, it's, it's as if they, they think their job is to sort of radio into God every day and say, well, okay, God, just checking in from duty here and just letting you know this world you created is going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting bad down here. It's going from bad to worse. It's terrible. I'll check in tomorrow over and out. You know, as if that's, that's what you're calling. You think he doesn't know that? He didn't place you here to tell him that. He knows that. He placed you here that you might intercept that, that you might be something that stops that reality, that you would be salt and light in this world that is unraveling. He says, you're the salt, you're the light. And he goes on and he says a very strong word here in the back half of verse 13. Did you notice what he says? He says, if you won't be that fresh salt, that, that, that preserving salt, then you're really just useless and worthless, and you might as well just be thrown out and trampled upon on the pathway. And that's very sobering, what he's saying. He's saying, if you really have me inside of you, then this only stands to reason that you're going to be doing something and living for, for my good and for my glory that others might come to know me. In fact, this sheds some light, this whole salt thing, on uh, Luke chapter 14. If you're not familiar with that, in chapter 14, verse 35, I think it is, um, he goes on, Jesus does, and he explains this, uh, this whole thing about how salt, uh, if, it's, if it becomes useless, isn't even worth being applied to the dunghill. What's he talking about? Well, what's he, he's talking about that, that whole fertilizer thing. He's saying, look, you, you, you're not even fit if you're going to be salt that's fresh and light, you're not even fit to be applied to the fertilizer that's sitting over here waiting to be applied to the crops. Very strong, sobering words that Jesus is talking about here. But he never wanted for us to be thrown out and trampled upon. He wants us to be vibrant, active, living, fresh salt that's doing here on earth what he called us to do. And even more, not just to arrest the decay or to retard the, the death that's setting in, but a third thing. Salt and light actually stimulate growth and life. It doesn't just stop the bad stuff. It propels the good stuff, right? Think about it. Whenever you have the, uh, you know, something planted and the sunlight can get to it and it's well fertilized, what's going to happen? Not just bad things are going to stop from happening, but actually good things are going to happen. And life is starting to come out of that. And, and so what he's saying is, yes, I want you to be a preserving agent and I want you to be useful in the perpetuation of good things and growth and life. That's why I've put you here. And so wherever in the world um, you, we find things that aren't the way that God intended them to be, that is where we Christians should be going, not retreating, but moving towards that darkness and training one another to go there. Just like we saw in the fantastic video a few minutes ago, we should be moving towards the darkness. We don't retreat in self-defense. No, we move in all the more. And you know something? I bet that you will find that there's, you don't have to look very far to find darkness. 
in need of light and salt. It's, it's right in your neighborhood. It's right on your street. I was reminded of this even uh, a week or two ago. I, the, my car was being worked on, and so I caught the shuttle back to my office here at church. And I was riding along in the van driver, uh, and I, he and I were the only ones in the van. And so he said, so Faith Bridge? I said, yeah. He says, I know where that is. Oh, okay. He says, uh, yeah, I got a lot of friends who go there. Oh, yeah. I said, uh, well, since you brought it up, so where do you go to church? And he said, well, actually, I don't go to church. I said, really? Why don't you go to church? He said, I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it. I figured I'd, I don't know what use it would be for me. I mean, I've got a good life. I've got a good family. got a good home. Is there anything more than that? I just kind of let the words float out there. But see, in the back of my mind, I was thinking about a situation, a scene where I'd been the day before at MD Anderson Hospital, sitting at the bedside of a lady who was dying of cancer, holding her hand and explaining where she could find eternal hope. And so I said to the man, well, let me ask you a question. Suppose you and I swapped places uh, for a a day and I drove your van and you were sitting down uh, where I was sitting at MD Anderson with that lady. What would you have said to the lady? And he said, I don't know. Maybe I should come to that church of yours and find out some more of these spiritual sorts of things. And I said, well, I hope you will. But if you don't, I'll tell you right now what I told her. If you got a second, we pulled into the parking lot. He said, yeah. I said, well, give me a piece of paper. And he, He gave me a piece of paper. And I said, well, it's like this. Here's what I explained to her. I said, you know, the situation is this. Humanity has a big problem on our hands. And that is we're all fallen creatures. We want to be good. We try to be good. We wish for good. But all of us have fallen. All of us have sinned. And we all fall short of God's glory. And that causes this chasm here. We might call it the sin chasm. And on one side, you have mankind. And on the other side, you have God. He said, yeah, I see what you're saying. I said, and, and the reality is all of us have been infected with this thing called sin. He said, well, I definitely have. I, I definitely got sin in my life. I said, okay, so we're, we're in agreement about that much, which is a problem, especially when you have God over here who is perfect and who is holy and whom there's no, who, in whom there is no sin. And see, I explained, as I was thinking back to the, to the hospital situation, I explained, you know, there's nothing like a deathbed that begins to make us think about spiritual things that we were able to somehow block out of the active portion of our thinking uh, through a lot of our lives. Because all of a sudden that wall seems a lot flimsier. And now we're curious And we're wondering what is going to happen to me because deep down in my soul of souls, I know there's something out there, somewhere, something, and I just want to know that it's going to be okay that, you know, when I meet my maker or whatever you call that, that that I'm going to be found, you know, okay. He said, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I said, so basically... You could study comparative religions and you could go through each religion and what you're going to discover is that at the core, every single religion is trying to figure out how can we close this chasm and bring God closer to us or us closer to God. And so you have one religion that came along and said, well, this is the way you build the bridge. You, you, <clears throat> you have to pray in this certain direction uh, five times a day. And if you'll do that faithfully and religiously every day of your life for the rest of your life, then, then maybe, just maybe, you'll be found you know, on the good side of the ledger when it's all said and done. And you'll work your way back into to God's good favor from your sin problem. Or another religion comes along and says, nope, that's not it. The way that you do it is you have to say this kind of, uh, you have to give money 
at how much money? Well, I don't know, but a lot of it, you know, and, and the, the more the better. And so you give away all your money and then maybe then God will say, okay, you're on the good side and we're back in relationship. You can go through, I said to the man, and you can see religion after religion are just efforts at trying to build this bridge. But Christianity is a different thing altogether. Whereas all of these religions could be spelled by the word D. Oh, it's what you have to do. Christianity is altogether different. I said, see, Christianity is the story of our great God, the one true God who looked upon us in our sinful fallenness and had mercy on us, took pity on us, said out of sheer grace, I'm going to save you. Not because of anything that you could ever do, but because of what I'm going to do for you. And he sent his own son, his only son, into this world who lived the life of perfection that none of us could live and sinlessness that none of us could ever live. Although we all wish that we could be perfect and sinless. He sent that Jesus into this world to live the perfect life so that then he could die the death of punishment that you deserve to die, to pay the consequence or the penalty for your sins. He sent him to come to live that life of perfection, to die that death of punishment, and then to rise victoriously, signifying to all who put their trust and their faith in him that they too might be able to to experience life. I said, so it's really a bridge of sorts that God built through Jesus, do you see? And all we have to do is realize God says it's not about what you do, it's about what I've done for you. Will you just receive this gift and hand your life over to me, trusting in me? Now, let me tell you why I just felt like I had to tell the man who was driving me in the van what I told him. I wanted him to realize, sure, your life and your family and your home and everything, they might just feel dandy right now, but unless you have a savior, you have to realize that you and all of the rest of humanity, the day you were born, you boarded the Titanic. We're all on the Titanic. We're deluding ourselves if we say, well, everything's really pretty fine with my life. Because even as that great iceberg cracked the hole of the Titanic, sin cracked the foundations of this earth. And evil and suffering and darkness came flooding in. But the Bible says that while we were all sinking in our despair, God had mercy on us. And he sent his only son to be our savior, our rescuer, our great captain who would rise victoriously from the grave that we might follow him into life everlasting. I had to tell the guy that story. Why did I have to tell him that? Because how nice a guy would I be if I let him drive me all the way from the car place to my office and I didn't bother to tell him, your life is not as fine as you think it is as you're trying to convince yourself that it is. Because if you don't have a savior, it can't be fine. Without a savior, no one's any different than any of us. Sinking on the Titanic. Nobody's different than, than, the, than the people who were waving on that boat as they, as they went faithfully sailing away into the ocean. I guess the Titanic's on my mind because my younger son... Uh, just recently read a book about the Titanic, which wouldn't be a problem, but for the fact that my father-in-law, Suzanne's parents, are taking us on a Disney cruise. And <laughs> we're gonna celebrate their 50th anniversary, and we've been looking forward to it for more than a year. And But the other night, uh, my son put the book down and he said, I'm not going on the cruise. So I don't know why you're not going on the cruise. Icebergs, well, you know what? It's a Caribbean cruise. There's no icebergs down there. 
yeah, lifeboats, they won't have enough lifeboats. Well, you know what? They actually learned some lessons from that 100 years ago. They have to have enough lifeboats now. In fact, you go through a drill and you stand there and they measure and they, yeah, everybody, before you can even set sail. And so, you know, what I was essentially trying to, to say is, you know, take heart, be of good courage, let not your heart be troubled, son, for unto you a lifeboat has been built. And, and so it's going to be okay even if we hit the great Caribbean iceberg. We're going to be all right. But I listen to so many people today. I listen to so many people today. Christian people. Faith bridge people. Who act like they just realized yesterday we're on the Titanic. What in the world is happening around here? Nothing has changed. This, go back in history to the great old days. Let's just go back to the good old days. Which good old days? World War II? Or was that World War I? Or was that the Civil War? How far back do you want to go? You want to go back to the Roman history that we were just talking about in the recent months? I mean, we've been on the Titanic since the day we were born. Jesus says this world is a fight. He said as much. In this world, you will have trials and tribulations. You will have trouble. Mark it down. But I have overcome this world, he said. I've come that you might have life and that you have, might, might have life more abundantly. And so the question that I have for you, Christian, follower of Jesus, at least if you're saying, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, but yet you're giving into all this despair and all this cynicism, and, ah, it's dark and bad, and you're... I have a question for you. Have you not really trusted in Christ? Oh, no, I did. I, it was years ago I went on a young life trip and, and uh, you know, when I was in fourth grade. No, 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 I, I didn't ask you, did you go on a retreat and throw your little thing in the fire to pray a prayer at the end? Or, I'm not asking that. I'm saying, have you really trusted your life over to Jesus Christ, our glorious captain, the savior of our, the savior of our world? Have you trusted in him? Because if you have, then you've risen above all of this. We don't have to wring our hands and cower in the corner and be afraid of what's going to happen next. No, we have a, a glorious savior whose life split the calendar into BC and AD. Or if you gotta use today's terms, he still split it into BCE and CE. It was his life that split the calendar. Now, you can be certain as you take up the cross and as you perpetuate this message that I'm talking about today, you will be countercultural. You should be countercultural. That's what he called us to be. And so you can expect that somebody will say, you mean you will give up perfectly good hours in your nice, cushy, suburban life to go to seedy places where sex trafficking is suspected and you'll gather with other Christians and sing songs of worship and, and, and just be praying for the people who are inside that they might notice there's something different, there's something better, there's light out there. Maybe I could move towards that light. And you'll say, yes, yes, I would give up hours to do that. Of course I would. Others will say, you mean you'll take perfectly good money that you earned that you could keep for yourself or that you could buy things that you want to have for yourself and you'll just give that money away so that it can help other people or so that the Christian message can go out the message of hope, yes. Or maybe, like I had a professor, maybe you'll have something like this. I had a professor years ago, I remember my senior year, who said to me, so your parents provided for you a Vanderbilt education. I love that, a Vanderbilt education. And you're gonna settle for the ministry? Yes, because I've got good news and you need it. I have a message that the world needs and so do you. We're salt. We're light. He said, you'll be countercultural. But why is it that we're so reluctant to share it? I think it's because we don't really understand our own message. I think that's the problem. 
We, we don't really understand it. See, I think what happens is that we've fallen prey to the, to the type of uh, comparative religion talk that just lumps Christianity in with all the rest. And you say, well, you know, Christianity, it's not really any better than the next person. And, you know, but I know I'm supposed to tell you this. So, you know, just bear with me and we'll both get through this, you know. And no, 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 it's not that. Remember, every other religion is providing something that says D-O, you know, and what if Jesus had said, you know, follow me, not that I'll make your burden lighter, but that then you'll have to strive, S-T-R-I-V-E, harder. Do you think people would have come out of the woodwork to follow him for that? No. He said, I'm doing something altogether different than any other religion ever did. I want to make your burden lighter. I want to provide salvation for you. Cast your cares upon me. See, we have an altogether different message. And I think we lose sight of that when we draw back and, and we grow reluctant. Or, well, maybe it's going to hurt your feelings. No. How can it hurt your feelings for me to tell you this amazing message? I could never tire of telling people what happened to me on January 15th, 2015. That was the day that God strategically positioned Dr. Solomon in my life, the cardiologist, who just at the right time, in just the right place, assessed my situation that I was going to drop dead of a coronary within mere hours and I had no idea and he took me by the hand and put me in his car and drove me to the hospital and pushed me in a wheelchair himself to where he could get inside my artery and rescue me and I could tell that story a thousand times and not get tired of telling it why because it's the story of my physical salvation now you may not have a story of physical salvation or at least one that you know of but you have something that's even better. All of us do. We have, if you have Jesus, you have a story of spiritual salvation, of salvation that will last not just this lifetime or prolong your life here on earth, but will last forever and ever and ever throughout eternity. How could we ever get tired of telling a story like that? It's, it's like this. How hard is it really? If you were in a f- building, a 10 floor, floor on the 10th floor and the building's on fire and, it's, and you're trapped and you can't get out and, and the smoke is coming in, you're starting to cough and it's getting darker and darker and now your prayer is just, oh God, just make it happen faster so it can just be over with and just right at that time, through the wall comes smashing a fireman who grabs you up in his strong arm and pulls you out and takes you down and sets you on the ground and runs off to get somebody else and somebody comes up to you and says, what happened? You might not have all the details, but you could say... I was getting ready to die and that man saved me. It's not that hard to tell, don't you see? Or suppose you found out that there was this amazing investment, especially in this economy, and, and you just put everything that you could put into the investment and it just went and went and went and finally you can't put anything else into it because you have nothing more to put into it because it's just all in the investment. And you have nothing to gain by keeping it a secret. What would you do? You'd go and you'd tell other people, you gotta find about this investment, so come here and let me show you. Or what if you found out about it the amazing you know, shopping mall or, or outlet mall, the greatest outlet mall in the world, and, and it's just got everything, and, and nobody knew about it, and you found out about it, and you drove your Suburban over, and you stuffed it, just packed to the gills and put everything you put into it so you don't have any more money that you can spend at that time. What are you going to do? You're going to drive back. You're going to tell some friends you got to come to where I came and you got to learn about this outlet mall. See, Christianity is nothing more, as D.T. Niles, the old preacher, said, than one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. This is our message. We have good news. And God is like a tornado. He doesn't ever suck us in to then shoot us out with anything less than good news. He doesn't suck us in to stay. For that matter, he sucks us in to spin us back out. How could a Christian ever come spinning back out and say, I got bad news. This world is, is just going to hell in a handbag without also saying, but there's good news. We have a savior. His name is Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Take your eyes off the things that are making you despair and skeptical and cynical and put your eyes on the author of our hope, the perfecter of our salvation, Jesus Christ. That's our message. We got to stick to it.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel. It is good news. Forgive us, Lord, for so often forgetting we're the bearers of good news. We're the recipients of hope and life. And you've called us to be salt and light, not just more pessimistic, cynical people. That's what the world's full of. That's why you left us here and just take us on to heaven quite yet, because you wanted us to push back the darkness and to bring hope, regardless of what's swirling around us, because the world has always had things swirling around. There's always been wars and rumors of wars and wickedness and evil and it's just a different flavor these days maybe than what we've been accustomed to but it's really no different. And so Lord, would you help us to set our eyes on you, Jesus, and to be messengers of good news, to live with the gospel not just as a distant memory of sort of the representation of something we did on a, on a youth camp years ago, the night that we invited Jesus into our heart, but that daily we would wake up and re-gospel ourselves again, that we would daily step back into the lifeboat that is Jesus, that we would daily remember we were headed for death and destruction and despair and would have had every reason to be pessimistic, but we don't because we are with you, Lord Jesus. And for those who are here who, even today, like the man in the van that was driving me that day, maybe you just even listened to the message or watched the drawing and said like he did, I never thought about it quite that way. Maybe even today you say, I think I would like to go across that bridge. I think it's coming clear and I didn't ever really understand but I think it's just coming clear today and I want Jesus to be my savior. Even in this quiet moment, why don't you just, in the quietness of this moment, just, why don't you step across that, that bridge that the cross provided and you move to Jesus and let him put his arms around you. Make him your savior, make him your Lord and let him from here on begin to shape you, your thinking, your living that you might walk closely with him and learn more, more about what it means to be his disciple. We pray all these things in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I'm joined today by Pastor Ken Warline, who just finished preaching a sermon on the ultimate oxymoron, cynical Christians. Pastor Ken, thank you so much for being here sure. today. Now, uh, in your sermon, um, at, towards the very beginning, you uh, said that cynicism and Christianity, they don't really mix all that well. In fact, um, because Christians have the ultimate hope of Jesus, we really shouldn't ever fall prone to or fall prey to cynicism. But what about people who um, they might be struggling with things like depression um, or anxiety and uh, they just, um, maybe they have a hard time revving themselves up to be the happy-go-lucky, joyful person yeah. that we all expect Christians to be. Or, or, or wish that we could always be. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great word and a great question. So let's uh, say several things. First, I think it's important for us to know that even those of us who have generally uh, cup half full outlooks, not cup, cup half empty outlooks, um, can fall prey to bouts of, of discouragement and depression. I think of in the Old Testament how Elijah, right after he had that great miraculous victory over the gods of Baal, and you would have thought he'd just been clicking his heels, and there he sits, um, discouraged and 
uh, depressed and so it can it can happen to to any of us now that said i do believe that there are some of us who are extra prone to depression mm-hmm. and if that's what we're talking about then i'm always quick to encourage let's let's get let's get a, a doctor involved yeah. as as well several of us uh, pastor dan and i are very open about the fact that we both take uh, medication mm-hmm. for depression, for anxiety. It's the same medication. It's sort of flip sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what we're talking about, I think we, we don't want to just try to uh, treat things that can be physical and neurological as only spiritual. Right. Now, let's move from that category to just the run-of-the-mill person who says, well, no, I don't think I have any imbalances you know, chemically, or the doctor says, I, you know, I don't really need this. Um, I think um, we have to give ourselves some grace Mm -hmm. and know that in certain times we're going to just have a low period. We're going to have a low day, a low week. Um, But this is one of the benefits of being part of a vibrant church, having a vibrant small group community where you can link arms with brothers and sisters and be bolstered by their faith and, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes depend upon their faith when you don't have enough faith. Um, and where you can just say, I got to lean on your faith because right now I'm not feeling much, you know, much, much faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, community is a very important part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and just re-gospeling ourselves, mm-hmm. going back to... Um, the overall big picture, this world has always been the Titanic. Um, and usually in moments of discouragement and depression, we've just gotten in touch with that reality again. And it's shocking again. And we're discouraged and utterly frustrated. And that's all we can do is look at the problem instead of panning back and remembering, wait, 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 wait. We're gospel people. This world was always a cracked ship. It was always going down ever since the fall of man. And this is why we have Jesus. It's for this I have Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we keep going back and we keep gospeling ourselves and reminding ourselves uh, uh, of that. And we kind of push through one day at a time. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly helpful. And uh, I think the key to a lot of that is just being really honest with yourself too. A lot of times we try to just shoulder it and pretend like it's not so pretend, right? Pretend like we're not way down. And, and, and you know, Adam, pretending can only can actually exacerbate mm-hmm. your depression right. because pretending takes a lot of energy. I think of a time when I was uh, back at the church in the woodlands years ago as an assistant pastor, and they needed me for the VBS, and I had to be. Lazarus, like seven sessions that day. We did the same drama every, and I they wrapped me up in toilet paper, and I had to come out of the tomb, and you know, and and I remember that night I was exhausted, and I thought I didn't do any work. I just got up out of it, you know, walked out with toilet paper all over me, but I was exhausted. But I think the point is, pretending can lead to exhaustion, and exhaustion just uh, predisposes us to depression all the more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's not be pretenders. Let's get the community. Let's be real. Um, shoulder it with brothers and sisters of, of like heart and mind with, with Jesus. Yeah, being honest with God, being honest with our community, and like you said, re-gospeling ourselves, reminding ourselves yeah. of the gospel as often as possible. Yeah, yeah that's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, and then for, for those of us who we heard your message of... Um, of challenge to go out and be the salt and light uh, in a world that is dark and has lost its flavor. And, and so we're on board, we want to do that, um, but maybe practically we don't quite know what that looks like. Where do I do it tomorrow morning? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, help us uh, out. Sure. Well, this is the, the art, probably more than science, of you know, gospel living. I think, for my sake, two things are distillable, um, our actions and our words. Let's start with the actions.
I think if we really are saying, you know, Lord, I, my soul is full with you, and I want other people's souls to be full with you. We start by looking for, you know, low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. in ways that we could actively jump into a situation and serve, roll up our sleeves, help, contribute, make a difference, which will make other people go, why did you just do that? You didn't have to. They didn't pay you to do that. Oh, I know. But since you ask, let me tell you why. And, you know, because I'm, I'm living for a, a, a higher purpose, a higher cause, a deeper reason um, than just earning a paycheck or, you know, and so so we're we're looking for ways that we can jump in and serve and help. And, and that's our actions. But if we don't look for them, they'll pass us by over and over day by day. And we can go weeks and months and years and. There's nothing distinct and different about us. And so we have to we have to actively, you know, I could jump into that situation and I could actually, you know, make this contribution or go above and beyond. And, you know, and that's just a way that I could let my light shine. Right. Then our words. Mm -hmm. Well, like then the story that I told of, of the van coming back to the office. Um, you know, I got halfway into the conversation and I remember distinctly um, thinking, okay, at this point, you could pull out mm -hmm. and just end it and get back to your office and say, thank you very much for the ride. Or you could keep in mind the fact this man's on the Titanic. He doesn't know it. Mm -hmm. Is that really what you want to do? Mm -hmm. And... So I actively decided to toss out another question that I thought might be able to lead the conversation in a spiritual direction, and it did. And sometimes it just won't go there, and you can't contrive that. But, but sometimes if you just will be strategic and intentional about asking maybe one well-placed question, um, they can move a person to start to think about spiritual things, and, and then you can begin to apply the gospel and, and, and explain um, the uniqueness of our Christian faith. Absolutely. So it's about kind of adopting that kingdom vision, of uh, which takes a lot of intentionality and, mm -hmm. and I think practice a little bit sometimes too. Sure. Of you have to train yourself to, to see those opportunities, sure. uh, see those opportunities in the world. Absolutely. But um, once you do, uh, I, I'm reminded of 1 John 4.12, uh, no one's ever seen God, but when we love each other, um, God's love has brought the full expression in us, and that's when people, um, that's when people see Jesus in us. When we go out and love him Amen. That way. Amen to that. And and maybe along those lines, uh, I, I would add one other thing that maybe precedes the two that I just said. Um, but praying actively, just put it on your prayer list and just say, Lord, give me today an opportunity to serve or to share the light of Christ, the salt, to be the salt. And you pray about that. And you just turn your focus up five degrees from where it is, and you will begin to see them. And just just that much, and you'll begin to see them. And if you seize them, uh, it, it becomes much more normal. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, Pastor Ken, thank you so much. This was incredibly helpful. And thank you all for tuning in. We will see y'all next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.